The first letter to Corinthians, beginning to read at the first verse. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the Church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge. Because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you, except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, we start, uh, friends, this morning a new series uh, in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. But because of uh, the way the calendar falls, because next week is an all age at the 9.45, and therefore Donald will be uh, beginning his new series, and then the following week I think it's harvest, and therefore we have a standalone sermon for that. Because we don't come back to Corinthians for three weeks, rather than start by looking at chapter 1 in sort of detail and then break and lose the thread... What I'm going to do instead is try and give, in sort of uh, this morning, an overview of uh, Corinthians. Just try to orientate us to the book, and then in three weeks' time, we'll start uh, by looking in more detail at chapter one and, and work our way uh, through. But this morning, uh, we're going to look, step back, if you like, get into the helicopter and fly above the letter of Corinthians and get a sense of the heart of the book and the heart of its challenge. 
uh, to us as uh, a church family. So let me pray, and then uh, let's uh, come to God's word. So Heavenly Father, we do pray as we come now to your word that uh, uh, your word would be our rule, and your spirit our teacher, and your greater glory would be our supreme concern. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, do have 1 Corinthians 1 open in front of you, in fact, because I will uh, be looking at it a little bit, page 1144. If you've closed it, we'll get you back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The cross, the cross of Christ is more than an historical event. It is an historical event, of course. It is indeed the most uh, significant event in history, that moment in time when God the Son carries the sins of his people and its death penalty for them, and thereby secures forgiveness for all who turn to him in trust. The cross of Christ is an historical event, but it is more than that. It is more than that. You see, when Jesus said to his followers that they must, in following him, like him, pick up their cross and follow him, he was saying that his followers are to pattern their life on him, who, though he was divine, came to earth not to be served, which was his right, but to serve others in self-giving love. And the cross stands, if you like, as a summary. It stands as a shorthand for Jesus' mission and his way of life. It, is, it stands for that attitude of setting aside one's rights in order to serve others in love. And the point Jesus makes, the point the New Testament constantly makes, is that the cross, therefore, is not just something to be believed in, It is also something to be lived out. When the gospel of Christ crucified is preached, it doesn't just challenge our consciences. It does do that, but it does more than that. It doesn't just shake our intellectual convictions. It does do that, but it does more than that. It demands also to be allowed to shape and change our lives, our culture. It it brings with it new life, but that new life expresses itself in a new way of living. And that is a challenge. That is a profound challenge because the cross-shaped Christian life is profoundly countercultural. As we'll see in a moment, the cross turns the values of the world upside down. The values of the world in which we live, the values of the world out of which we were converted. And the challenge of the Christian life in this and indeed in every generation is to throw off those pre-Christian cultural traits that characterize our cross-rejecting world and to live instead the cross-shaped life to which Jesus calls us and in which is true life. And I want to suggest this morning, friends, that 1 Corinthians is going to be a great letter to help us do that, because I think that is what is at the heart of the letter. It's the issue that Paul is addressing 
in 1 Corinthians. Paul has, has been to Corinth in the past. He has preached the gospel to them, and uh, some have come to faith. And so there is now an active church in the heart of Corinth. But the problem, I think, is that there is still far too much of Corinth in the heart of the church. The Corinthians are struggling to throw off their old Corinthian culture and to live the new cross-shaped Christian life that Christ has died to win them. And throughout Corinthians, what you get, I think, is Paul holding up afresh the gospel of Christ crucified. And he holds it up a bit like a mirror into which he, he invites the Corinthian church to look honestly at themselves. The cross becomes two things, I think, both a yardstick by which to measure themselves as a Christian community. And also it is the means, the dynamic means of God by which he will grow them in maturity and create this cross-shaped community that should reflect Christ to an onlooking world. I've got two brief points this morning uh, to give us a bit, an intro, I think, to Corinthians. And the first is this. I want to say a little bit about the crisis in Corinth, the crisis in Corinth. If you read through Corinthians, it doesn't take long. In fact, we had it this morning in the first few verses. It doesn't take long to realize that Corinth is a church in crisis. Uh, It is in a mess. It's in a mess spiritually, socially, and morally. There are splits and there are factions. There's quarreling. People are being drawn to various leaders. And they seem to be ranking those leaders according to how outwardly impressive and sort of um, eloquent those leaders are, rather than how godly they are. They seem to be a church that's more interested in style than they are in substance. We're going to discover that they're quite a proud church. They're self-promoting. They're status-seeking. We're going to discover that they're socially divided. They're a church that boasts about their spiritual maturity. They think they've arrived in Christ, when in fact they're just spiritual babies, Paul will tell them. They're a church that seems to put each other down rather than build each other up. They, they tolerate sexual immorality, the kind that even the non-Christian world doesn't tolerate. They take each other to court in order to assert their rights over each other. They, they flaunt their freedom in Christ in a way that spiritually damages fellow believers. They use their spiritual gifts, of which, which they have many. They're, they're greatly enriched, Paul has just told us. But they use their spiritual gifts as sort of self-affirming status symbols with various people having various uh, gifts, such as tongues and things, looking down on those who have what they consider to be lesser gifts. They use the gifts to sort of rank themselves spiritually. Friends, if I was looking for a new job and the parish profile of Corinth landed on my desk, it would be quickly filed in the shredder because it is a church with significant issues and problems. But Paul looks on, and he looks on with a pastor's heart, and, and with great love, tenderness, and he diagnoses, I think, the problem with Corinth, and the problem that, if you like, coheres all the various issues that are wrong, the problem is that the Corinthian church is reflecting the values and the culture of Corinth 
rather than the values and the culture of the cross. Have a look at um, verse 3 of chapter 3. One of the key verses, I think. Chapter 3, verse 3. Listen to what Paul says to them. He says, You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, are you not behaving just like you did before you came to Christ? With your jealousy and your quarreling, as a community, you're behaving just like the non-Christian world. You're still living, in other words, you're still living the Corinthian life rather than the cross-shaped Christian life to which you've been called. Now, Corinth was an ancient city of uh, pedigree. It was quite wealthy on the back of its uh, port. Uh, It was a tourist center on the back of a very big sort of Greek games that were held there. It had a culture of valuing worldly wisdom and intellectual sophistication, being a big Greek city. Uh, It was a city that valued uh, entrepreneurial success, self-promotion, success and uh, social status. And I think all of these sort of Corinthian cultural norms are evident in the various problems and issues in the Corinthian church. And I want to suggest that 1 Corinthians is so very contemporary. As we read through it, we're going to find it is very close to home. Because the culture of Corinth, out of which the Corinthians were converted, in which they are living and witnessing and, and is pressing in on them, that culture is so resonant with our own, isn't it? In 21st century Oxford. Oxford, too, is an ancient city of pedigree, reasonably wealthy. It's known uh, for its uh, tourism on the back of the university, not to mention, of course, a city that prides itself on uh, worldly wisdom and intellectual sophistication. Oxford, too, is a city of uh, entrepreneurial success, self-promotion, self-sufficiency, social status. Friends, I think we'll find as we go through uh, the, the chapters of Corinth, Corinthians, it is strikingly contemporary, it is soberingly challenging, as we too find ourselves struggling with the pressure to, confirm to conform to our cultural norms rather than to Christ. The question that Corinth will keep asking us, will keep pressing in on us, is this, is our life personally but also corporately as a church family Is our life being conditioned and shaped by the culture of Oxford, the culture of Western society, or is it being conditioned and shaped by Christ and his cross? I came across uh, this one pastor, Stephen Murray, uh, wrote very helpfully on, on the cross and culture, and he said this, and I quote, he said, the reality is that you and I are living lives that are, more often than not, conditioned by our culture and not by the cross. Daily we look out for opportunities for self-promotion and opportunities to make ourselves look bigger and better, and that often at the expense of others. Our careers and our social status continually push us to aspire after the world's values and to shape our lives accordingly. And so often 
Uh, we find ourselves caving into those values because the pressure around us is immense. And the question is, how do we avoid caving in to the culture that surrounds us, the culture we live in and work in and raise our families in? How do we maintain and grow in the cross-shaped Christian life that we are called to? And Paul says we do it by fixing our eyes afresh on Jesus and his cross. And that is what he does throughout the letter of 1 Corinthians. He lifts up again Christ on his cross. So secondly and finally, a little bit about the culture of the cross, which I think dominates 1 Corinthians. When Paul visited Corinth, you know, he came with nothing but the extraordinary news that in this peasant carpenter from this obscure town in this obscure land, God was at work reconciling the world to himself, that this man was none other than the divine son of God, rescuing the world, and that by his shameful death on a cross. Have a look at verse 1 of chapter 2. It's another key verse that sets up Corinthians, I think. Paul says this, When I came to you, brothers, sisters, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is Paul's message. That is the gospel in a nutshell. It is the good news that God has acted by sending his son, the divine king, the Christ. He has sent him to earth to battle and triumph over sin and Satan and the forces that enslave humanity in order to save his people. And he does it extraordinarily through his death, and his death by crucifixion. That is the event, isn't it? That is the message that sounds so foolish and looks so weak in the eyes of a God-rejecting world. And yet, says Paul, that is the power, that is the wisdom of God. And so do you see, it is the big theme of, of Paul, I think, in Corinth, how the cross of Christ confronts and subverts all worldly notions and norms. You know, the cross was the great object of shame and derision in the ancient world. You didn't talk about it in polite society. And yet, in the power and wisdom of God, it becomes the means by which God's glory is displayed as he saves his people. The cross is a great place of weakness. As we look at this semi-naked man, stretched out, dying on a cross. Yet in the, in the power and wisdom of God, that is the place where Christ triumphs over the powers of darkness. The cross, the place of death, becomes in the power and wisdom of God, the source of life. And so it, it subverts, it overturns worldly notions of what wisdom is, of what power is, of what strength is, of what status is. And it overturns our cultural norms. The cross confronts and it challenges the culture of Corinth just as it confronts and it challenges our culture. Because do you see, the cross magnifies 
self-sacrificial service of others. It magnifies self-giving love over self-promotion. It magnifies our spiritual bankruptcy and our need of grace over and against self-sufficiency and personal success. It magnifies weakness in a world that values power. It magnifies, it magnifies community formation in a world that so often is about getting ahead and getting one over on your neighbor. At every point, the culture of the cross confronts and subverts worldly notions, worldly culture. And the issue in Corinth, and I think we'll see too, the issue for ourselves is that having turned to Christ, having been saved by his cross, Paul now says, now you must be overturned by Christ and his cross. Now you must live a life that is patterned on the cross. Be shaped by its culture rather than the culture that surrounds you. And so throughout Corinthians, Paul preaches the cross afresh. He pleads it. He puts himself forward time and time again as a personal example of someone who is living the cross-shaped Christian life. The silhouette of the cross falls across every page of Corinthians. The cross is both a profound challenge, but it's also a profound comfort. It is the measure of how far short we are falling of living the cross-shaped life. But it is also the means by which we remember the forgiveness that God has won for us and are thereby empowered to grow in the cross-shaped life that Christ has called us to. And that, I think, is the heart of the letter, which is verse 2 of chapter 1. Have a look at verse 2 of chapter 1. Paul says this. Listen, notice the comfort, but also the challenge. Paul says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. Do you see? By God's grace, through the cross of Christ, when they heard it preached, when they put their faith in Jesus, they were sanctified. That is Bible speak for set apart, made right with God. They were called into fellowship with God and with one another. They've been enriched by his grace, Paul goes on to say. They've been equipped with every spiritual gift and now called to be holy. Do you see? There's the challenge. That having happened, you're now, having been set apart, the call is to live as those set apart. Having been set apart by the cross, live as those set apart by the cross. Now, having been loved in that self-sacrificial way, now be those who love others in that self-sacrificial way and thereby reflect the culture of the cross to a watching world. And the question becomes for Corinth, for us, how can we do that? How can we purge our sinful, self-centered, self-promoting aspects of our nature and live the cross-shaped Christian life? And Paul says it is by reflecting again on the gospel. It is by gazing afresh at Christ on the cross. Gregory of Nazianzus is one of the church fathers and uh, writing many hundreds of years ago. And he very famously said this, Christ was made poor 
that we through his poverty might be rich. He took the form of a servant that we might regain liberty. He descended that we might be exalted. He was tempted that we might overcome. He was despised that he might fill us with glory. He died that we might be saved. He ascended to draw to himself those lying prostrate on the ground through sin's stumbling block. Do you see? Christ emptied himself, laid aside his rights to make us spiritually rich. He is the example and the one who empowers to do likewise. As we gaze upon the king upon his cross, who gave up his heavenly riches, his heavenly power, his heavenly status to enrich us spiritually in every way, then his grace will cause us to rejoice in him afresh, to rejoice in the riches, the spiritual riches he has won for us, and to cherish those above anything that the world and its ways could offer us. And as we do that, then we'll be able to resist the pull of our self-centered, self-promoting culture and be empowered and enthused to follow his example of the authentic, spiritually rich life that is marked out by self-sacrificial service and self-giving love for the spiritual good of others. Let's pray that God will help us do that as we read his letter in the weeks to come. So, Lord, we do pray that you would help us in the hurly, uh, burly of this world to fix our eyes afresh on Christ and him crucified. And by your grace, you would capture afresh our hearts and in so doing, change our lives and make us increasingly Christ-like shape them into that cross-shaped life that you call us to. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.